Blog Talk Radio. Good day, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe. It is 0600 hours Eastern, or Romeo, a few nautical types, 1000 hours Greenwich, or Zulu time. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. And I am William Eastman, managing partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, a business research company that is changing the formula of business success for companies from zero to 50. The million in revenue. So let's uh, rock the roll here. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes, and today's show is on element six, the last of a series of six of what are the characteristics of companies, uh, what is the characteristics of the strategy of those companies who become market dominators. And so you can join us. How do you get into this game here that we play? every morning here at 6 o'clock out of Richmond, Virginia, as we broadcast from our studios from our Atlantic Regional Office. Well, first of all, you can just hit chat now on our show page at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can dial in directly into the uh, switchboard at 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-215. 7471, or you can uh, Twitter me and uh, do a, not a tweet. That sounds kind of dumb. I like the, the word twit because some of the comments get over there really, uh, that's how I'd evaluate them. So you can hit me at Twitter at uh, W Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N. And, of course, at the end of every show, which is also on our show page, you can hit the blog contact or uh, blog uh, hotlink, I should say, and go to our blog site, The Rudder, or you can Google it and just write in, type in The Rudder blog, and it will pop right up. So there we are. So uh, before we start, I, I've received a couple of hits on uh, chat as well as on uh, email concerning our music, our opening and closing music. And that's a, uh, that's a piece uh, called White Ape. And was done by Leo Kotke, and it's one of my—he's one of my favorite guitar players, and that was one of my favorite pieces. Uh, so I'm not sure that it'll be our theme music all the time. One that I'm really debating on using. The challenge you have is that you need to play a longer segment to get the beauty of the song, and that's by Alan Parsons' band, a turn of a friendly card, which to me describes entrepreneurial life. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's get. Let's get started. Where are we in the series? Well, we were, where we started off is that we had, we started off uh, Monday of last week, I do believe, on talking about the companies who, who had the characteristics uh, or what were the characteristics of their strategy uh, for them to become dominant business players. And when I talk about dominant, what are we shooting for? We're talking about companies that 
own their markets, companies that when you think of a particular industry or a particular product or service, they are the names that pop into your heads. These are the companies that we want to say, hey, they did something right. What, what can we learn from that? And that was part of our study. Um, so we looked at those, and we found that there were six elements of their business strategy that made them unique. And in fact, when I first engaged in this research about 12 years ago, I think my math is correct, it was not to produce a product or to do a radio show or use it as consulting advice. Is that I found myself in a position where I was helping start, uh, to start a, a consulting firm inside of an existing training company, and we had some very hard very high demands in terms of growth. We had a piece of the action, and I wanted to make sure that uh, I started, at least my part of the equation, started it as well armed as possible, and that's when I did the original research. Um, so let's go through that. Uh, the first one was do business in a new way. Uh, the, it, the issue is that uh, th these companies have become unique and distinctive, and everything that they do is different, and that is part of their competitive advantage. Uh, the second element was that they pursued low-cost, high-margin opportunities. They had the ability to spot these and go after them. Uh, the third one, uh, let's see, number three, was they took monumental risk. And what we did in this one is we had a, a reframing of of what it means to take calculated risk versus being a riverboat gambler. And the, the issue here is that in order to be a market dominator, you got to take more risk than just going into business, which is considerable. Most people don't have the, the, the stones or the stonies to go into business for themselves and take that risk. And the ones that do typically go, okay, now I need to play it safe and minimize my risk by going, oh, no, no, you're if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, let's, let's roll on this one. So what these companies did is that they... They took strategies that put them to places where they basically created new markets. They they attacked the, the common or prevailing paradigm, and so this has you have to go there. And part of that is monumental strategic risk, and then tactically, how do you change the yards and minimize the risk? Uh, element number four was exponential returns, and the whole idea that every part of the company needs to be producing high high margins, and the comp parts of the company that are not Profit centers, how do I turn them to profit centers or outsource? Uh, yesterday's show was on Thrive on Deals, Partnerships, and Alliances, and what these companies were very good at was finding companies to leverage the relationship to help introduce their products into new markets or tack onto that infrastructure or get a brand association. And so all of that helped them to grow without necessarily making the expenditures on their own. And then finally today, this one has outmanaged the competition, and this one is what's interest, interesting about it is that in some ways it, it basically says do the other five, but there are some pieces that I want to talk about that are different than just do the other five. And so element six, outmanage the competition. Two things to discuss here. One is the executive level, the C-suite uh, of the organization, and then the role of the board of directors into governance. So here's a couple things I'll tell you before we do any type of drill down. Number one, there was no particular pattern to these entrepreneurs, these uh, business owners who started small and grew their companies large. Uh, some were young, some were old. Uh, some had, well, this was their first roll the dice in the business world. Others uh, had been 
in industry a good many years and had a lot of successes, prior successes and failures. Some of them were college educated, some of them weren't, um, and on and on and on. And so the first thing I, I can tell you is that there is no particular profile. Now, having said that, my guess is that there is a profile to that. I've worked with a number of, um, of I guess the word I'll use is psychological instruments, even though I'm not sure it's exactly uh, the most accurate uh, definition of it. But there are some assessments out there, the Harrison being one, that gives you the ability to take a look at or profile top leaders and say, here is kind of their profiles. Um, I, I think maybe there's a show in that. And so anyway, but the, the point here is uh, to say, well, they had this experience of this amount of money or they were young or they're old. Nope. The literature said, nope, none of that, none of that is true. And so uh, that, was, that was interesting, that there was really not a whole lot of difference uh, in these, or I should say there just really wasn't a whole lot of commonality. The other thing is that uh, the second thing was that the owner executives, you know, you hear the myth of what happens is the companies get bought out or these guys get put, or women get pushed out. Uh, no, it's not true. In the companies that we looked at that got, you know, incredibly huge and became market dominators, um, in many cases, the executive team was still there. The, the, the executives who started it were still in the organization, and they were executives, but their role was based upon their talent. In other words, they did things that they were good at, and they stayed in their company. And, of course, that is really good news for any of you out there looking to build your companies large because one of the great fears you have is this issue of being displaced. I know we do. And in our growth plans, we, we, basically have, we have basically said and put it into our business plan that we're only going to go for money twice uh, because what we also found in companies is that when you get to time three, after that, the company is so diluted and you have to give away so much as you find yourself being a 5% minority owner and perhaps you are still running it and perhaps the, you know, the board or somebody else is going to displace you. So I think that if you have a good investment strategy on how you're going to grow it, I think you've got a great opportunity to still be at the helm when it gets to the very top. Um, and so that's the characteristics there. Now, on the, on the side of the board, let me talk about that. First of all, they all had board directors. So if you, don't, if you think a board of directors is a waste of time, then you've already basically said to yourself, we're, we've decided not to uh, become a big dog in the market. Uh, they all had board of directors. It was a differentiating point between them and the competition. So take that one to the bank. They had a board of directors. Um, what else can you say about that board of directors? Well, that board of directors were not uh, passive, uh, let's go along types. Uh, they were there because they brought specific subject matter expertise um, to the board that the organization needed. And when we get into that area, I'll drill down a little bit on it, and I'll talk about our board and basically the type of roles that we have. Because I think if you're an executive, you can have a little fun with us to say, gee, what type of advice do we need that we don't have that I really don't want to go out and pay a whole lot of money for, but I, I definitely need to have? Well, you can do that with a board, and so how you, you, you comprise it. But I can tell you right now, the difference between the companies that made it didn't make it, the ones that made it had boards, and when we get into the boards, I'll, I'll detail it a little bit more. Okay, so 
let's take a look at the executive level. Um, there was no pattern to whether these companies started with just uh, one owner and he, he or she kind of grew out of there or was a team of players. And so as I talk about the executive level, what I'm talking about is, the, is it could be a group of founders or it could be people that were brought in after the fact. But as you begin to assemble the top, the top level of the organization, what do you see? Well, word I'm going to use is the word orientation. Uh, you find that there is a balance of orientation between those people who uh, is natural to them now, not something that they're forcing, but some of these people naturally are concerned and focused on inside operational issues. At the same time, there are people who are at that executive level who naturally focus on outside market or relationship issues. So what I mean by that is that what they found, what we found with the other researchers found when they looked into this is that at the executive level you had people who were focused on the inside and what the company did and you had people who focused on the outside and what how the company was perceived how it was growing in its market uh, managing relationships uh, with customers and alliance uh, and alliance members and so there was some balance there uh, in the organization because a company that becomes too inwardly focused basically loses touch with the market and customers and you may build great stuff but nobody's buying it or nobody's willing to pay the price that you want to charge on the other hand if you got the total external focus is that yeah you're saying yes to everything and then finding that when you look inside you really don't have an organization aligned uh, to produce what it is that you promised uh, and I'm, I'm going to expand this a bit more here in a second the other thing you see is a balance between present and future is that there are people for whom love the blue sky, love to sit back and put their feet on the table and say, gee, you know, playing the great Wayne Gretzky is, where's the puck going to be in two or three years? Because it doesn't make any sense to go to where the puck is now, because by the time we get there, it's not there. So let's, uh, you know, let's, let's figure out where the puck's going to be and let's position the company so when the market arrives, we're waiting. And you need people in the organization at the executive level with their feet up blue sky because otherwise you have no, there is no guarantee of future success. On the other hand, you also need somebody who is like, ah, come on, man. You know, the game is won on the boards. You know, the, the, the team, the, the company, the individual who wins the battle of the boards is the company or the individual that wins the game. So they're focused on, well, I'm going to go on the, I'm going to go on the boards, I'm going to knock that guy out, and I'm going to take the puck from them. And they've got that orientation. And certainly, if you don't have people in the organization who are focused on that, then you get nothing done the day to day. So that is, at the executive level, you've got some balance and hopefully um, the right people in the right job. For example, somebody who has a future focus should be in marketing. I mean, if you if you look at who is your head of marketing or who's subcontract marketing out, um, that marketing person really should have a future orientation. Uh, as uh, as opposed to when you look at who's running production, um, I think uh, probably a present orientation would be appropriate. The person running sales uh, probably should have an outside orientation. Uh, the, the person who's in charge of quality might have an insight. And, and so it gives you some insights also in, as, as you begin to hire people who do you want to put in those jobs? And as long as the executive level of the organization has a balance between those, you get you know you got all types, 
and that that dynamic is managed and in the right roles, uh, you have a pretty dynamic executive team. So let me uh, let me take a break here. We're about uh, 16 past the hour, and um, I want to say a couple things about uh, our company here. Uh, I I've been in business ooh, 30 years in this industry, and I count all the things I've done. And one of the things that um, I find it's, that just beats us down is that as entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, you know, we just get we're tired all the time. We're always stressing about stuff. We're not getting enough sleep. We're doing too much work. And pretty soon, what happens is you're not just tired. You're just uh, you become tired of being tired. You get tired of being stressed out. Uh, and I tell you what, if you're not stressed out about this administration and stressed out about this economy, uh, then you are living in long, long land. Um, this is going to be this economy is going to get worse and worse for especially for entrepreneurs and small business people. Um, you've got nobody representing you in Washington. Nobody really cares about you, even though that you are the core of the of the American economy. And so, uh, somebody is out there. There's got to be somebody out there who is uh, there to help you, help you transform your dreams into reality and get through what we're currently going through. Well, that's who we are as a company. Um, in, 19, in 2002, when I decided that I had enough of uh, the corporate consulting world, uh, I was always attracted to small businesses. And I've, in one of the other shows, I told the story about working for the UN and being in Africa and kind of having my epiphany that entrepreneurs uh, are more alike than, uh, than they're different and that these Ghanaian entrepreneurs who I had positively nothing in common with when you look at background, training, education, uh, uh, race. I mean, you, you pick the factor that, you know, we're humans, it was about it. Uh, and the reality is I had more in common with my, brother, with my own uh, sisters is that what, what that told me is that we're called. And uh, the other thing I also realized is that there was nobody out there for them. Well, that's what we do. Um, our, our job is real simple. We don't sell any services, and we sell products. And the reason we don't sell services is that services are expensive. And in order to get high-quality talent, I can tell you right now, to get high-quality talent is exceedingly expensive in any market. So what we do is we built the toolbox for business owners, business executives, and smaller firms to help them grow their companies and help them grow their companies quick. And that's what we do. We have, we have assembled together the best practices of growing. And as, for example, we are just highlighting a brand-new product right now uh, called the survival pack, or what are the best practices of growing in a recession? And the best practices of any company growing in a recession is there's really two to focus on. One is that they hold their base, that is that they've, they targeted their most profitable customers, and they're doing whatever it takes to hold that base of customers, realizing that business is not going to go up, so let's hold the best of the best. And number two is that they've, they've looked inside to their production facilities to become the lowest cost producer and so that if more than likely there's going to be price concessions to hold your best customers, well, imagine if you could cut the price and keep the margin. And that's just the essence of the debate. Uh, and then what happens when the economy flattens out, you uh, and all your competitors are going to come out of this. Well, you're going to come out of this strong, and your competitors are going to come out of it weak, and it's time to go take their top accounts. And pretty soon in the markets you compete, you can own all the best customers all the marquee customers. So that's what we do. So if you'd like, uh, if you'd like a copy of what are those best practices, uh, send me an email, eastman at aklabs.org. 
or you can put a request or a comment on our webpage. You can call us, uh, or you can hit me on our Skype hotline. We're uh, we're attempting to see how well Skype is going to work for us. So our Scott, uh, Skype pipeline calls right into the Atlantic office in Virginia at 804-471-1660. That's 804-471-1660. Okay, so let's get back to the, uh, the, the, the executive level. So, so you've got this inside-outside, present-future. Now, where you see this coming out to play is that for those of you who have not been with us, uh, you dig down on the uh, web page. Um, on our show page, and you find uh, you find the the show on reinvention. Pull that one out, because what's critical here is that what what's the best example of the future teams and pres- uh, future teams present teams? What's the best example of inside out? Well, at the executive level, you have this going on, but you specifically do it as a company when after you've gone through stage five, which is stable, and you've kind of uh, caught your breath after this big growth spurt you know, over the stage four hockey stick type growth, and you sit there and you're kind of catching your breath, then um, what do you do next? Well, th- you have three choices. One is if, you, if you're out to sell the company, sell it now because you're at the top of the heap. Uh, because if you don't, then it's going to decline. It's not going to, it's not going to stay there. There's no, there's no stasis in, in uh, business. There's no stasis in nature. Um, things grow or they decline. They never stay the same. Or your third option is to reinvent the company. And by reinventing the company, what you do is you put together what's called a future team. And what that future team takes a look at, where, what's happening in the market in the future and where do we need to go. Now, typically where it happens is that it looks at um, either one, what type of new product, new offer, what new products and services do we have to offer, or what are the existing uses for our current products and services into markets that we haven't been before. And you put together a team of people who work on the project, and that team is run by one of the executives for whom that's their orientation, that's their role. Another team that you put together, a reinvention team, is a present team, and that says, okay, taking what we've learned, can we do this better, faster, for less internally? And so their focus is much more on today, and their focus is much more on doing a better job of what we're, what we're currently doing. And that is headed up by a CEO or executive. So what, uh, or I shouldn't say CEO, an executive or a member of the executive team for whom that is both their role and their orientation. So you see this, this inside-outside present future is absolutely uh, critical to have present among the executive group. And what that says, I didn't say it at the beginning, but let's kind of, you know, if you say all that and you put an equals mark next to it, turn it into a mathematical formula, here's the bottom line, is that no founder of the company can do this by themselves. If you think you can grow this company and it's you and only you and you're going to be the the hub of the wheel and everybody else is going to be the spokes and then you're going to grow this into a multi-million dollar or maybe a hundred million dollar or a billion dollar company. You're on drugs. It ain't going to happen because you do not have the bandwidth, number one. You cannot handle all of it. Number two is that you do not have the talent for it because it's going to demand things for you that simply you cannot do and if you try to do them, you're going to not do them very well. And so, that's the issues around uh, inside, outside, present, future. Now, uh, the, the other thing here is that this outmanaging the, the, comp, uh, the competition is they ma- they're able to view the company in a way that they manage growth stage by stage. And that is where I was, 
also want you to go back to our uh, show page and go to our archives and take a look at our growth cycles and managing growth in stages one through stage six is that you really have to look at the company that way to say, okay, we are a stage two company. It's all about cash and sales. You've got to manage that. There are, there's, a, there's a clear set of issues that you have to attend to that if you don't, you don't, you don't get the pass go, you don't get to collect your 200 bucks. Um, it's a situation where if the issues are clear, then hopefully also your decision-making is clear and is quick. Because what you're managing, if you want to talk about what you're focused on in each one of the stages, you're focused on optimizing your resources, opportunities, and you're into collapsing the amount of time that it takes to get to that stage as much as you possibly can. So if you don't know what they are, if your decision-making is muddled, if you don't like making decisions, you're not going to get there. Now, let's talk about the issue of, of, the, uh, of governance on the board. Here's the things I can tell you right now. Here, here are four things to take to the bank. Number one is all fast-growth companies had one or have one. If you, if you think you're going to get there without a board, um, the data does not support that view. Of all the fast-growth companies that got there big and became market dominators, we looked at untrue. None of them, uh, all of them had boards. Number two is what the role of the board is, and that's not to agree, but the, the, the board members have active roles and more than likely are there to provide intelligence and the help in the problem-solving and decision-making at some, at some strategic level. Uh, but if they're there because they're all friends of the chairman or the owner, uh, in this case, it's better not to have one than to, than to have a board. You want them to be active players. Now, the third thing is, is that all companies have uh, a list of high-level subject matter expert needs, things that they need to know to help run the business that doesn't necessarily warrant a full-time position. So how do you get it? Well, you get a board. So, for example, let me give you, let me give you ours. And um, I think I've used the analogy before. Applied Knowledge Labs is, is a management consulting firm focused at small businesses, but really we're more like a software firm. So let me give you some ideas. So, for example, we have a technology position. Uh, on our board of directors. And with this person is the experience with both hardware and software, uh, especially adept at building integrated online community platforms. And so I have somebody who's done this many times who understands this because that particular type of infrastructure is essential to our company. Uh, we have another position on the, on the board of directors for intellectual property. And the intellectual property is somebody who's experienced with open source licensing, um, uh, who can structure agreements between originators and producers of content. The way our database is built, our database was built on open source concepts. That's why I say we look more like a software company. And so if you are a subject matter expert in a particular area and you have content to contribute, we, we'll put it into our database and use that as part of our library. And then whenever we use that information, we send you a royalty check. Uh, we have a third position we have is in economics. And then somebody who's experienced with uh, advising investing based upon business, uh, based upon global business trends. Um, I need somebody who is looking at that on a full-time basis because it's time-consuming. I need to know what's happening around the world. Uh, we have another position on sales. Somebody who has been experienced with building companies through, it, through creating a sales culture and aligning the company around that culture. 
because um, that's what we believe that we need. We have somebody who did it for a major corporation and took it when he got there. They were worth about half a billion dollars market value. When he got done with them, they were worth $24 billion. So the guy knows what he's doing. And finally, we have somebody who uh, understands venture capital and uh, he's been experienced in building companies, successfully taken them public, and handling managed buyouts and acquisitions. So that expertise I need, um, the way that we get it uh, at, our, at our executive level is through uh, the board of directors. And so that's the issue, the balance of the high-level subject matter expert needs. And then the last one is, that, and this is an interesting pattern. We couldn't give this to you for executives, but we'll give it to you for the board. And that is 60%, if you look at the mix, the mix on that board um, is 60% of those people had alliance partners, companies that they had lied with, with, they were marquee customers, they were suppliers, uh, but alliances that they had, 60% of them had alliance partners on them, interesting, which tells you how important that relationship is. And only 30%, and 30, excuse me, not only, 30% had uh, customers on that. So that's kind of the, what the mix of the board is. Now, in terms of how, how often the board should be and all that, I think I'll leave that to another show. So what we've done now over the last six shows is, is give you what the characteristics of the companies that have been dominant in the markets, the companies who have uh, owned it and what works in their strategy. Our goal here was to give you an idea of the six. Thanks, and tomorrow we'll take on some of the missing links. Uh, so with that, you take care. Have a great business day.